three wins on the spin, up to fifth in the table. Should be uh, should be happy times for Norwich City, shouldn't it? But it's not quite as smooth as that. And we are here on this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast to discuss a, a 2-1 win over Wickham that was just not plain sailing at all. It certainly should have been after a brilliant start to the game, but it most certainly wasn't. I am Dave Freezy. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM, joined by Paddy David, Connor Southwell, and our colleague at the EDP and Norwich City columnist Dave Hannant, who was behind the wall in the gun club watching the watching the game on, on a screen. So, Dave, let's come to you on that first. What was it? What was it like? I mean, there's there's no windows in the gun club, are there? So it is no. literally having to watch it on screens. There's no sort of risk of that and things. So how was the atmosphere? And, and personally for you, I guess that's the first time as a Norwich fan that you've actually been able to, to be in the stadium on, on a match day for, for quite a long time. Yeah, the last, last time I was in the stadium on a match day was um, was Leicester, um, which is the last one with fans. So yeah, it, it was it was a decent, um, a decent enough dynamic given, you know, given what it was, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm under no illusions. It wasn't 27,000 fans there roaring them on and, you know, the same feeling. But, you know, if, as far as the, the atmosphere in the room went, it, it was all right. It was not certainly when that when that free kick went in, it was it was quite nice to, you know, be surrounded by City fans cheering a goal going in rather than it just being me and my cat in the living room, you know, so it's. Yeah. It's kind. Of, it was nice from that point of view, and just talking to talking to the fans. I think it was very much a kind of maybe a little bit bittersweet because on on one hand it was great to be around other other supporters again, and it was you know the ritual of it was all a lot similar. You know, you all got together to at, before the game, getting your shirts on, getting taking that trip down to the ground. It was it was the same kind of ritual, but then once you kind of got inside, it was almost. It just wasn't quite the same because you know you've gone through this expected to be sitting inside a stadium, and so it was bittersweet. But I think it was very much the consensus from the fans that that I, I spoke to. The consensus was very much of uh, you know this is the best of a bad situation, and it is the next best thing to being there in person in the in the on the terraces. Yeah, almost almost felt cruel that the Vrancic free kick was curled in at the Barkley end as well, at the same end. So it was quite literally the other side of the wall to those fans watching it on on the screens. But um, perhaps a, perhaps a little bit of progress, and we and we did see as well, which I think you're going to follow up on a bit, aren't you? That the club actually were promoting the hashtag Let Fans In. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean it, it is kind of no secret that it's what everybody wants at this kind of stage. And, uh, you know, it, it, I know it's a lot more complex than just simply, well, we're sat in a room and it's not ventilated in the same way. Why can't the same number of people be in a, in a, in a stand? I know particularly, you know, given the fact that there's different levels of restriction across the country and it clearly what's fine in Norfolk and what would be fine at Carrero clearly wouldn't be equally safe at Anfield, for example. So you might get clubs arguing that, you know, it's an uneven playing field. But at the same time, is it really much of a difference when you're out, you know, in the open air? Surely it would be just as safe. And it's a massive revenue stream for any club, out, well, even in the Premier League, but let alone outside the Premier League to lose out on. So it's just kind of a case, surely, if it's possible, it needs to be done sooner rather than later. Because the longer it goes on, the more of a strain it's going to be on football clubs and 
teams, you know, slightly further down the pyramid, it could be curtains for. Yeah, it's a difficult one. And of course, we don't want to see fans let back in and then football starts to be blamed for sort of spikes in, in COVID before before we get to sort of vaccine territory and things like that. So uh, a difficult one, but let, let's not sort of dwell on that too much because I don't I doubt our listeners want to hear too much about coronavirus. We're all sick of hearing that those words at the moment, aren't we? Well, for the last six months, etc. So, Pad, if, if I come to you actually on the game to start with, um, have a, I was worried that maybe with my video verdict and stuff that I'd, I'd been a little bit too harsh on the performance and that, you know, maybe should have looked at it a little bit more glass half full, given it was three wins on the spin. But even before they scored the goal in the live updates, I'd been having the conversations with with people in there sort of saying, well, even if they get the winner here, they can't really leave with their heads held particularly high. No, but yeah, and it's that... It's that expectation thing now that surrounds Norwich at this level and the fact that, OK, they let Jamal and Ben go out the door, but you've kept Todd Cantwell, Emmy Buendi and Max Ahrens and you've added to that with a Ben Gibson, very established performer at this level, Jordan Hugo, another Premier League import. And and that really means I think they're getting judged by a different maybe set of criteria to two years ago. And we've touched on this in quite a lot of these recent broadcasts that, you know, to win three games on the spin two years ago, certainly in the early part of the season, would have been, uh, you know, there'd have been a lot more leeway given to inevitable frustrations with elements of the performance. Um, and I think we'd have been far more ready to savour the, the fighting spirit and the character aspect you associate with three wins, all achieved, or two in stoppage time and one against Birmingham in, on, with 87 minutes on the clock. But as I say, this is a different era now. And, and what applied two years ago is, is no longer valid, I don't think, for most Norwich fans. They fully expect, because the club have framed it that way, that this is a an all-out assault on, the, on an immediate return to the Premier League. Top six is the bare minimum, and that is the criteria they're going to be judged against. And, and of course, within the games, and Farker himself is quick to allude to this, you know, when you get in stats that tell you you've had 60, 60, 60 possession game after game, and then yesterday, you know, well, the last two games, over 70%. You know, your you shots on goal are 20 plus, 25 yesterday. Those metrics should be translated into a far more comfortable wins than needing a needing the Bosnian Pele to, uh, you know, clip in free kicks from 20 yards out. So that's, I think, what where the, it's almost a contradictory or a conflicting sense of emotions that on the one hand, what unbelievable reserves of character and fighting spirit and finding a way to win, as Daniel said, and that winning mentality is absolutely crucial now because they're coming off a season where it felt like, certainly towards the end, that it was a bit too easy to lose games and the white flag got raised a bit too quickly. So all of those elements, absolutely superb. This early in the season, given the turnover to the squad, it's a tribute to me, to Farker and his players. But the negative side of the ledger is that they they really should be winning these games a little bit more comfortably. And yesterday, there was no excuse. They got on the board three minutes into the game. Timu Puki, lovely goal. And they didn't kick on. And, and it was a self-inflicted equaliser, horrendous defensive mix-up between Hanley and Tim Krull. And for certainly the next hour or so, it was a very uncomfortable watch. And Wickham will feel very hard done by in the key elements, which I'm sure we'll get into as we move along. But uh, overall, that's probably where the frustration is. Yeah, satisfaction that they can eke out a result, but frustration that they're not doing it a little bit more comfortably, I think. 
Yeah, Connor, they they flew out of the traps, didn't they? And you know, Pookie getting that goal is, is second of the season. You know, that that first twelve minutes certainly they were playing some pretty ses- sensational stuff, weren't they? Yeah, and it, it probably. Um, I mean, I, I certainly felt that like that was probably the worst thing Wickham could have done, to be honest, because um, they were they were gifting space to to Campwell and Wendier in central areas, as, as as you saw with the first goal, and they came out of the traps and were playing brilliant football. It kind of looked like they picked up where they left off on on Tuesday at Carrow Road, so. But again, it goes to show sort of how football matches can change and how the dynamics can shift. Because as soon as the equaliser went in and I kind of felt what Wickham did well all afternoon was kind of make it seem like they were playing against the world rather than just Norwich City and that everything was conspiring against them. And they kind of needed that to bridge the, the gap in quality. Um, and, and, and that shifted the dynamic of it. And then it became a, a very difficult game in terms of what Norwich perhaps were expecting. So... They did come out of the traps and it's, it's probably a shame they couldn't maintain that. And I think that the question will be, the, the most pertinent one for this game is why they did drop their standards or drop their quality for such a prolonged period of the game. Um, and I, I think what this game has proven is is that you don't get an easy game in the Championship. They've played two of the newly promoted sides from League One in, in the last three games and have sort of only just got past them with a penalty and a free kick late on. So that goes to show how competitive the division is. And they do need to maintain their standards and they do need to... Um, in, ensure that they don't take their foot off the pedal, I think, in, in games, um, regardless of the scoreline. But yeah, after that first goal, I, I certainly felt like it was going to be a long afternoon for Wickham. But football matches don't often transpire that way, particularly in, in, in the Championship, as, as I think they um, as I think uh, they showed yesterday. Dave, I think once that bookie goal had gone in, everybody was saying, right, well, this is a case of how many now, isn't it? They've made that breakthrough that they needed. What are you making of this sort of partnership of, of Hugel and Pookie up front? It, 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 you know, it sort of starts out as a 4-2-3-1 nominally, because we know how much Campbell and Wendy rove around the pitch anyway, but then it's almost like a 4-2-2-2 when they're in attack and Pookie is like a striker. Do, do you think it, there's, there's enough signs of life there to, to persevere with? I mean, Adam Eder's injury time red card probably means that it's got a good chance of continuing, is not it? Yeah, well, I suppose it's also a question of who who else you'd play in that hole. Um, you know, Marcus Diekman hasn't quite had the um, the impact he had previously, but I think it's still too early for me to to really make a a proper judgment on the partnership because you know I think at times both of them kind of dipped in and out of the game, and I couldn't I can't think of too many occasions where. I've really felt that they're clicking as a partnership. Um, that that doesn't mean to say that it won't go on to do that way. And, you know, Hugel was kind of, I felt he was a bit quiet yesterday. Um, previously, you know, he, he's going to put himself about and has the, you know, it's an easy comparison to make, but he's very, very much got the kind of Grant Holt um, feel about him. You know, he's physical, he's big and he plays with his heart on his sleeve. But um, I think um, obviously any partnership between two strikers is going to take a little while to gel. Um, but you know, I'm quite happy. You know, Pookie got his goal yesterday. I'd, I'd be quite happy seeing them start up up top in that way again. And I think so much of it as well hinges on how what mood Emmy Buendia and Todd Campwell are in. Because on um, you know, I think on Tuesday the two of them between them were utterly unplayable, particularly Campwell. Whereas yesterday they both kind of dipped in and out a bit more. So I think it all depends on. The system all depends on how those two work together, really. Yeah, I think Wickham deserved praise because they were more like Rotherham in that they actually tried to cause Norwich problems and were a bit more ambitious. When you reflect on that Birmingham game, that was pretty pathetic, the way they set up. They were so defensive and Karanka, you know, with the experience that they've got in that squad as well, to be quite so 
um, negative and, and park the bus um, uh, more than Wickham and Rotherham did. I'd say that's a bit concerning for Birmingham, considering the ability that they, they still have in that squad, even if it's not been the, the best of times. Um, but Wickham, Pad, were, they were very lively, weren't they? I mean, they had a, their side of the director's box was full and noisy. The substitutes and coaches made plenty of noise as well. I guess we should probably kick off by, by talking about the Ben Gibson incident. After, after the goal, you know, he, he got himself booked with one tackle, which I don't think any of us really queried the yellow card for that one. And then they very much felt that he had dragged down, um, who was the player? It was um, a Deneran. Fred on, on your dimner, wasn't it? Uh, I thought it was a Deneran, but either way, um, they he dragged him down and... Um, or sort of dragged him down, but the referee didn't even give a free kick. They were absolutely livid about that, weren't they? Because that could have been a penalty and a red card. It was a penalty. Absolutely no doubt about it. Um, there's an angle from behind the goal, TV angle. He's put his hand on his shoulder because he's rolled him and he's wrong side and he knows if you're Ben Gibson, he's getting a shot off. Um, so as much as we, we got on the uh, VAR is anti-Norwich last season, uh, a VAR review system would have overturned that and that would have been a penalty and it would have been... a either a second yellow or, a, or or straight red, either way, Ben Gibson would have been off. So, of course, you have the, the king of penalty saves, so it might not have necessarily translated into a goal, but uh, certainly Norwich should have been down to 10 men for the majority of that contest. And, uh, yeah, I think they were very harshly treated there, but uh, Norwich might feel they're due a, res- a rub of the green or two from the official uh, who didn't have his best game, I think it's safe to say, yesterday. Gareth Ainsworth, Wickham manager, uh, very honest. He, he he didn't query because there is there is a debate. You know, did Ramchich throw himself to the floor to win the free kick for the, the actual winner? Um, Gareth Ainsworth said he felt unbalanced. That was probably a free kick. Couldn't argue with that. But by the same token, that was a penalty, and I'd be inclined probably just to share his his view on that. So um, that the and he also referenced little Wick, little old Wickham, which we we all know from a Norwich perspective. It always feels the case when they go in the Premier League that. The bigger clubs tend to get the rub of the green, certainly in terms of the tight calls, whether it's VAR or just the officials on the pitch. Maybe Wickham feel, given their seven games in now, no wins, no points. Maybe they feel they're they're a little bit of the uh, you know small small cousins come to the championship and not getting their just rewards. But uh, you would think that'll probably turn in time because if they maintain those levels, as Ainsworth said, they will stay up, and it'd be hard to disagree. It's unfathomable to me that. They arrived at Carrow Road. If they played anywhere near like that for periods of games, why they didn't have one point to their name? Because they have, by no measure, have been the worst team Norwich have played this season. Mm, yeah, I thought Cashkit and Onya Dimna were, were pretty lively. And if they'd have had maybe a bit more of a focal point through the middle in Ipiatsu or Akinfenu, who are both on the bench because they're not fully fit, then they may well have caused a few more problems. But I think they can take a, a fair bit of heart. But I mean, Connor, at the end of the day, they have they've lost seven. Uh, games on the spin. We we had um, actually in the press box. We had Bill Turnbull sat behind us, who's sort of one of their most famous fans, isn't he? And you know, BBC Breakfast for a long time, and um, he uh, was on Strictly Come Dancing, wasn't he? And um, uh, you know, he was totally, totally partisan on their commentary, and, <laughs> and he he was fuming that they didn't that they didn't get more out of that game. And it wasn't just that incident, was it? The rest of the first half, I, I can't quite pin pin my finger down on, on why it happened. But Norwich, to me, just seemed to disappear into their shell a bit. They did, yeah. And, and I think, to be fair, some of that, a portion of that, you have to credit with, with Wickham and, and the way they imposed themselves on the game. They really pressed Norwich in midfield areas. They suffocated the game. And 
Norwich kind of tried to force things a little bit and, and we, were, we were so full of praise for the way that they, they were patient against Birmingham and just sort of toyed with them a little bit and tried to unlock their defensive shape and it took them, what, 87 minutes to do that. Um, yesterday, it did feel like they were forcing things a little bit and it did feel like they were trying to look for openings that weren't necessarily there and um, and that left left them a little bit susceptible on the counter-attack and for whatever reason, they, they did look a little bit more vulnerable, whether it was the threat that on- Onye Dima was, was providing because he, he was very lively, casket as well. And I think that, that, dy- that dynamic front three they had really did cause problems in behind and, and that stretched the game a little bit and left Norwich a little bit prone to counter-attacks. And I think speaking to Daniel Farquhar in the last few weeks, that's an area that he feels they need to improve on is, is, is the way they control um, counter-attacks. And I didn't feel they necessarily did that to, to the greatest... Um, of extent, I, I felt they lost the midfield battle for for long periods of the, the first half as well, and I think that that was um, partly a factor. But yeah, you, you have to praise Wickham and, and the way they approached it because they were relentless and, and they did they did go through a lot of work. I felt, but by the same token, you could see them begin to tire towards the end of the second half when Norwich were really putting pressure on them. And um, ultimately, I mean, Paddy's real off the stats there about possession and shots. I think when when you look at it with just those metrics, and they don't obviously tell the full story, but that probably suggests that, that Norwich probably did um, shade it. But I, I don't think that's necessarily the 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 full story because for, for long periods of that game, Norwich were, were way off the pace and were second best, to be fair. And I, and I think there'll be supporters who will be questioning why that is the case against Wickham Wanderers. But um, I, I think you, you probably have to praise Wickham more because, as, as you said, they did show more intent and more ambition than, than Birmingham did. And they did cause real problems, um, regardless of, of the quality of their squad or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Norwich just need to sort of forget about it and move on now because the the reality is they're going to need to play better in the next two games against two um, teams I think really harbour top six ambitions. Um, if, if they play the way they did, then then I think it could be a tweet for them. So they've got to look to try and marry the Birmingham performance with a with a more convincing result, I think, rather than perhaps needing Mario Vrancic to bail them out at every opportunity because that's not really a sustainable way to go forward. Dave, if I can come to you on the midfield, um, I mean, Lucas Rupp, rightfully so, got a lot of praise for particularly his performance against Birmingham when he, he was brilliant. Uh, but perhaps, as we've seen now, Birmingham did stand off uh, Norwich a lot more than, than Wickham and Rotherham did. Of, of course, there's going to be a bit of a push for Mario Vrancic to be starting. There, probably, there had been a fair bit of a push in recent weeks, to be honest, regardless of what happened on Saturday. Where, where do you stand on that? Do you think Mario Vrancic has to be starting now and that one of Skip or Rupp has got to be um, sacrificed or, or should somebody else be coming in alongside uh, Vrancic? I mean, this this is a this is a tough one for me. It's, it's very much a kind of head versus heart moment because I love Mario Vrancic. I think he's a, he's a Rolls-Royce of a player and he, he's brilliant. But... So at the same time, you know, Lucas Ropp has, the last few weeks, he's looked a different player. Um, uh, you know, he's had so much stick, so much people giving him a hard time. And people, I genuinely have read people comments saying that he's the worst footballer they'd ever seen, which is just complete and utter nonsense. But, um, you know, since he would, people forget, I think last season he was played all over the pitch. You know, he was wide attacking player. Suddenly he was playing right back and he didn't have a decent stretch and different run. Um, so I don't. Uh, it would be so hard, harsh on him to take him out of the fold, and at the same time, him and Ollie Skip look a partnership, and that's not just because you know, as Chris Gorham will always point out, that skipping rope, you know, sounds like skipping rope and like thing. Uh, so I don't think either of them have really done enough to warrant losing their place. Um, so I think Mario, um, 
you, you perhaps are seeing because of the kind of player he in, you know, comes on with 15, 20 minutes to go and teams are tiring and he's there to kind of glide around the pitch and unlock defences. I kind of think until anyone who has the shirt shows us any reason why they shouldn't have it, he might just have to be patient because, yeah, coming off the bench twice in two weeks and being there in the right place at the right time to grab the winner. But does it? Would he have? Did he influence? Would he have influenced the game in the same way across ninety minutes? It's not really hard to. It's hard to say. I think for me, um, you know, unless one of the guys who has the shirts plays an absolute howler, you can't really warrant changing it. Yeah, that, that's interesting because I mean, Rupp and Vrancic know each other well. They played alongside each other for Paderborn. Um, in the Bundesliga, it, w- it was a relegation season. I think it was 2014-15 that they played alongside each other. So they know each other's game well. But I guess you'd probably be asking Rupp to be a little bit more defensive if um, if he was playing alongside Rancic. So I'm not quite sure on that. The, the other thing with Skip is that he had games during the international break as well. He's played quite a lot of football. This is his first real consistent run of games. Does he maybe just need to be dipped out for a little bit of energy uh, to, to recover a bit of energy? That'll be interesting to see how that one develops because it doesn't seem like Daniel's going to bring Teddy back into the midfield mix because he he's almost um, seen as that centre-back cover at the moment, isn't he? Um, moving to up front, Pad, um, Adam Eder's red card, um, I don't think there's really any debate about it being a red card because it was a pretty stupid thing to do, wasn't it? And so unnecessary as well. He's got sort of suckered into it, isn't he? But before that happened, I was thinking that he probably had a pretty decent shot of starting ahead of Hugo at Brentford because I thought he was very good up to that point. Yeah, wouldn't disagree with that. I thought, um, yeah, Hugo, as Dave referenced earlier, I, I, it's just general play isn't quite at the standard it needs to be for a Farker-type team. You know, you contrast him and Pookie in terms of not in the box, but outside the box and the link-up play. And uh, from what we've seen now, and it's not a huge body of evidence, but I don't think that's naturally that's his natural game to be linking play up and bringing the Campwells and Buenies into play and then spinning off into the channels. He is all about, we saw it most notably against Rotherham, um, balls flying in from wide areas. Max Aaron's on that occasion. Tiller is offering decent service more often than not and uh, and trying to get his, end on, his head on the end of the ball. It hasn't actually happened yet, but that's really where he's best. And um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think he really imposed himself on the game yesterday. And I, I would have. I would have quite happily have seen Ida and Pookie in in not in tandem, as you rightly say. The, the sort of formation leads you to think it's one and then one in behind. But but certainly both starting on Tuesday night against Brentford because I thought he did inject some much needed dynamism. You know, sometimes he tries to. Uh, score from every conceivable angle on the pitch when he might be better served uh, shoveling balls off and getting himself in the box. But there's no doubt the intent is there. And when he gets the ball, you feel things are going to happen. And uh, and he's, he's for, for a big man like Hugo, I think he's better with the ball at his feet. I think he's in those tight areas, he's got nice little pivots and turns and he can buy a yard and then he'll get the shots off um, as he did a couple of times yesterday. So, Real shame for Norwich uh, moving into a very big week, but um, learning curve for the lad. Daniel hadn't seen him back when we spoke to him post-match, but what he'd been told anecdotally, what he'd seen himself in real time, it's just a very naive mistake from a young lad who let his emotions get the better of him because he was just, it was almost up. The lad on the floor is being quite cute and trying to prevent him from getting up and getting on with the game, and he's just tried to get him off. But you can't raise your hands. We've seen instances of that in the Championship this season. My team had a lad sent off. Um, 
for just putting an arm sort of around uh, Steve Cook of Bournemouth's neck when it, was, it had been instigated by Steve Cook. And that's just the nature of it. And, and he'll have to learn and he will learn because he's going to be out for three games now. And given Hugel, I felt it was probably an opening for him there. He will he will be doubly frustrated that he essentially is now going to have to sit and bide his time. And three games down the line, we don't know how things move on. They can move on very swiftly. Hugo might cement his place. Um, somebody else might come in. And, and then he might find he's now used in that sub capacity for the foreseeable when he was just on the cusp, I felt, of maybe. And of course, he started at, Bo- at Rotherham on the left hand side, maybe pushing his claims for more regular involvement. So, yeah, to. to to sour into the game for that man, but uh, you know, hopefully he'll learn and we won't see it again. Yeah, I, I don't know if he sort of fell into it a bit, but certainly on the replay, it looks quite aggressive. It looks like he snapped and, and saw red just for that split second, and, and it's cost him. So, yeah, something that he's going to have to learn from. Not um, not a clever thing to be doing. Right, let's just uh, take a, a slight breather and hear a bit from Dan Parker and Mario Vrancic. And I, I did ask him about um whether he thought claims about the, the foul were, were a dive and he, he definitely didn't agree. Yeah, I did, that's why I train. I think um, in those like situations, it's always, don't know, always the same, the so, same process for me. I don't know, like, don't, don't need to go into details, but obviously uh, I try to focus a lot, like telling me things in my head, um, how to strike the ball and um, yeah. That's that's why I practice. That's that's yeah. That's why I also score. Otherwise, I wouldn't score if I don't practice. Sheffield Wednesday revisited, but just at this end, not that end. <laughs> kinda, kinda, yeah. <laughs> the actual foul, Mario. The uh, Wickham commentators were behind us, and they mm-hmm. didn't think there was a lot of contact there. What do mm-hmm. you make of the actual decision? I think there was a contact. Yeah, a probably. Yeah. yeah, I think eventually it's it's enough if you are if you're having speed and someone touches you. Yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't say it was a dive. Just sort of clip the ankles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this was important, though, wasn't it, to get the three wins? Because you've got two very difficult games coming up this week, haven't you? How, how just mm. how could this be the toughest week of the season? Well, I think every week is tough. So regardless of the opponents, um, I mean, eventually you just get three points, right? So even even today it was tough. We got three points. I think also at Brentford it will be very tough, probably a different style of football. Mm. But also we try to win there. We don't. We, we we should have some confidence and travel there and get three points. You personally, I think you're in the last year of your contract, aren't you? Is mm. that in your head at all, or are you um, do you just mm. ignore that? No, as I just said earlier, there are certain things you can influence, and that's what I'm trying to do on the pitch. And yeah, that's it. I feel like we're going to be asking you the same things. Why are, te- why are your team leaving it so late and giving you a heart attack into the process? Yes, it's football and uh, I already spoke to the lads and uh, said, OK, we made our life uh, again a bit more difficult than it actually should after a fantastic start into this uh, to this game. And also at times then uh, we're a bit away from, from our fluent football anyhow and, and had also some, uh, some mistakes in our game. But if I'm honest, so at the moment the games are coming thick and fast. We're playing all three days. And for me, just one thing is important to grind out results in, in, in this moment. And again, we, it's no question again that this win is deserved. I think 76% possession and 25 shots, and how many shots on goal. Um, but we made our life uh, today um, uh, much more difficult than it should have been after a fantastic start. But um, I don't mind. So I don't want to criticize my lads today. I just want to give them compliments that we showed again this mentality and this this is winning mentality yeah to to find again a way 
uh, to to win this game. It was again in the added time, 91st minute, uh, with a with a yeah fantastic uh, free kick of Marvin Fancic and. Uh, I don't want to criticize them. We had a perfect week, nine points out of three games, and found again against the spirited and and well defending uh, Wickham side uh, a way to win this game. And for that, um, yeah. Although I could also criticize a few topics, and we could have done better in in, uh, in a few topics. I'm just delighted and happy again with this mentality, and that we found a way to win this game. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Right, so looking ahead, Brentford and Bristol City. Um, I, I dare say this could be one of the most difficult weeks of the season. Um, two tough away games. Connor, do you think we could um, perhaps look ahead to this week as... It's going to be two teams who are going to be that bit more ambitious, that little bit more attacking, and it could just open up those gaps for for Todd and and Emmy. Or are we not at the point where we can be sure enough about the defence that we can be sort of that positive going into it? Possibly, yeah. I think it's it's going to be two teams that are, are certainly going to hold more ambition for for this season, and and Bristol City in in particular have come racing out of the blocks. I know um, Brentford lost to, to Stoke yesterday, but. They, they were tipped by pretty much everyone, weren't they, to be at the right end of the division. So I, I think what this week does do is provide a really good test for where Norwich City are at the moment, because if they can come out of it with, let's, let's say they come out of it unbeaten, theoretically, however that looks like, then I think that's that's probably positive. They have the momentum intact and, and they've also sort of rose to to two teams who have started, well, particularly in Bristol City's case, started very well um, at, at the start of the season. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a good test. I think you're right. I think we're probably going to have to see Norwich concede a little bit of the amount of possession they've had and what that looks like in terms of their style of play, whether they look to maybe play a placetta and look to be um, a, a little bit more counter-attacking or not. I'm not sure because they've certainly got the options now to sort of um, adapt to however they feel the game is going to go. I certainly think against Brentford, they're, they're going to have to concede possession a bit more and maybe look to, to spring on the counter-attack. And that probably requires a different set of options to say what, what yeah, um, Saturday's game did against Wickham and, and, and the one before that against Birmingham. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they approach it, particularly given perhaps the scarring that we've seen from the Premier League and how Daniel's made that, that midfield two a little bit more conservative. So um, I, I'm really intrigued to see how they approach it and I'm really intrigued to see how opponents play against them who sort of have fairly decent ambitions themselves because so far we've seen teams perhaps with the exception of Preston, Wickham to an extent, give Norwich a lot of respect. And I don't necessarily think they're going to get that in the next two games. So how they deal with that and whether they can go toe-to-toe with, with, with sides that maybe want to engage in a bit more of a of a football match is, is going to be really intriguing. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think they've got the quality, regardless of, of who they play in this division, to, to get through it. I think as, as Rancic has proven in the, in the last two games, but a lot of it will, will hinder upon how good their performances are. And if their performances are decent, then um, you, you would like to think results will follow. Well, it means a trip to a new stadium. So looking forward to that. Um, although we we learned yesterday, apparently, that the parking is still at the old stadium. So we've got, got a bit of a walk <laughs> to the new stadium. But it'll be interesting to see. But, but looking at... At those two fixtures, I mean, Brentford down in 11th, but of course we'll be in playoff finalists and we, we know that they've got some capabilities, even if they have lost Watkins and Ben Rama. Bristol City are currently sev- uh, second. And then 
the following week, uh, Millwall and Swansea at home, they're sixth and seventh at the moment. So this could be a real defining run of fixtures, couldn't it, Dave? And, and, and my mind at the moment is just going back to, I'm not sure which side of the fence I'm falling on on this yet, but after coming down in 2016 under Alex Neal, they were getting the results, weren't they? But everyone was saying the performances aren't really there and that it kind of disintegrated, didn't it? Do you see some parallels with that? Or do, or do you feel that because there's been a bit of a steady progression here that, that you're hopeful that won't happen? Uh, yeah, well, obviously, <laughs> I'm hopeful it won't happen. But you're on a kind of, it definitely feels like a, a pivotal moment because, you know, it's one of the oldest cliches in football is that if you're picking up results without playing well, that's a sign that when you start, you know, when things clicking a bit more, you're going to be getting really comfortable results. But at the same time, it, it's whether that's things clicking into place for us or whether the, the opponents we've had previously just haven't been good enough. And certainly in Birmingham's case, I think I don't think it's fair to say that they weren't good enough to beat us. Whereas it, it's hard to see where it will go. It's I think this run of, you know, three wins in a week is exactly what, what we needed to kind of shake the cobwebs off. And they're still, even though we were picking up the odd win, you know, we'd be one on the first day at Huddersfield. It still felt a little bit of a hangover from um from the Premier League and the kind of disastrous way that that came to an end, um, they're going to be real tests. There's no no way no mistaking that. But I, I think you more kind of look at um, there being the point in there was a point in the uh, promotion season two years ago. Uh, I think it was kind of fall around Christmas where we were very much grafting out results, and then we had a run of very very tough looking games leads away. Um, and that was the point when things really started to hit into motion. So, you know, if we go and get a, a winner at Brentford on Tuesday, that's a real statement of intention. And that's kind of, from there, you could see that as being the point when things really start to kick on. At the same time, we, we lose these two games in a row and you're looking at people starting to question, well, was were those three wins just down to the the calibre of the opposition and when we come against the real contenders we're found wanting so I think you know I, I'd probably be happy with with two points out, out of the two games to be honest going forward um, but you know we'll see yeah oh, Pad what, what's your sort of take on this two weeks ahead then then I think I'm right in saying that's the international break isn't it after Swansea yeah so four games here and you know Dave mentioned the Premier League disaster uh, as it was again there and thankfully now we're, that we're into the Saturday Tuesday run of proper championship action that is starting to feel like a sort of distant memory and it feels like the, the page has turned and people have moved on from that a, a bit and stuff but you know, this could be the, the make or break spell, couldn't it? Yeah, although now you've mapped out the following two, I think the next two games are, are tough. I think Millwall and Swansea will present a stuffer, stiffer test than a Brentford and a Bristol. I mean, Bristol, they need an, I just had a look there, need an 83rd minute equaliser at home yesterday to get a point against Swansea. Um, and Brentford, well, they got beat at Stoke. Preston went there and won 4 2. They've lost Ben Rama, they've lost Ollie Watkins. Yes, they brought in the boy Ivan Tony scoring a bag full of goals, but they're obviously in a slight rebuilding phase. So I'm less concerned about these two games than the, probably the next two at Car Road because I think Millwall will be a very, very tough affair. And they seem to have really got something going again. And Swansea went very close, as did Brentford, of course, last season, um, and have stiffened up again, namely uh, Ryan Bennett to this world. So, and the reason I say that is because I think the next two games. And you've touched on it, Dave. That I think they they will they will have opponents who will try and take them on in a game, and 
and that tells me that there'll be more space for Norwich to exploit and whether you then alter the personnel when you put in Heta, um, for example, maybe even a Josh Martin outside call, but I think Norwich will enjoy uh, as a collective and Daniel as a coach probably these next two games because it'll be feel more like it's uh, somebody who wants to come out and trade with them rather than sort of uh, back up on the ropes and uh, just try and take punishment um, and then almost wear out Norwich uh, as it turned out with the Birmingham game, certainly. But uh, might be wrong. But yeah, I, I think these two are games are two games to look forward to because I think Norwich are more than good enough to go to both these places. And I, I think four points is, is more than doable. Uh, six might be a bit optimistic and then if they do that they really are bouncing then because uh, you know you, you're, you're stringing together the sort of consistency that marked out that championship title winning season where you know they went week after week after week whether it was a Saturday Tuesday or a Saturday Saturday and they just the confidence was such that they could go anywhere and feel they could get a result but uh, yeah there's no doubt these next four on paper do do look a very tough looking swing but yeah, for me, for me, it's not necessarily this week. It's probably the week after because you can imagine if they do come off the back of two unbeaten games in the next two, the expectation is then that Millwall and Twansey will be swatted aside. And I think those are the two two of the teams in this division who are probably going to be there or thereabouts. So uh, that won't be easy. Um, as we can prove yesterday, Carra Road is, is not the fortress we all hope it would be. And to, without going back down the route of no fans, I think that is hindering Norwich because Carra Road when it's rocking, is a very intimidating place. And there's no doubt it adds a few percent to Norwich's chances of winning games. Yeah, they um, they are, are in a position at the moment where we'll see what's coming. I mean, I was, I was just checking what you were talking there, Pat. I was trying to remember the game that um, I was thinking of uh, under Alex Neal during that first uh, half of the season where they started off really well. They lost 3-0 at Birmingham, didn't they? And... If, and that was sort of the first implosion and the first time when it was really uh, worries were setting in. Um, and if you look at the results so far this season, they've been in every game, regardless of whether it's gone um, well or not. They are, they're in every game. They're fighting. It's not like they've come down and had that Premier League hangover to the point where they're not in games. So, I mean, four points, I would certainly grab that now if it, if it was offered from, from going into this week. But I think as long as they win, as long as they win one of them, I think most, most people will be happy. And Brentford, I can't remember if it was in the pod or if we were at a game. I, I, I made a call that I, I think Eddie Howe will be in there before not too long. If, if Thomas Frank can't get it going... I think he'd be a real, real good fit for them. So um, we shall see. And, and also, I, I remember speaking to Chris Gorham after the game on Saturday, and he said it doesn't count as a new stadium because the fans aren't there. So um, I think I'll go along with that one. Um, if I come to you on a couple of the guys who aren't really in the mix at the moment, Kenny McLean, I mean, Marco Stephen hadn't quite recovered from that illness in time for Saturday, had he? But do you see either of them really coming in into the mix at the moment? They, you know, McLean signed a new contract recently. Yeah, and he was he was irreplaceable, wasn't he, a few weeks ago in Daniel Farkas' eyes. So I think you <laughs> probably have to praise Lucas Rook to, to some extent. But yeah, I, I can see a change in midfield on Tuesday. I think Ollie, Ollie Skip is probably having a little bit of a dip at the moment. I, I felt he, he probably struggled a little bit against Wickham um, again and, and did in parts against Birmingham as well. So you, I, I think you're right in saying that he's, he's had sort of a, a really relentless period of games that he's not used to. And um, I, I could actually see an Alex Tetty coming in, perhaps for for Brentford. But like you say, he's he's sort of targeted as as that 
um, defensive cover. So that's going to be difficult. And then I can also see, uh, as uh, again, as, as we've discussed, Jordan Hugill dropping out and maybe Puki um, going up front. And, and then that number 10 position is up to gra- up for grabs. For me, that's probably where you put in Mario Vrancic rather than Marco Stiefman, I think. But um, they're probably the two changes that I, I would look to make on Tuesday, just for a little bit more solidity defensively. And um, maybe to, to just give Hugel and, and, and Skip a little bit of a rest because I, I felt they struggled yesterday, to be honest, to get themselves in the game um, and, and in Skip's case, probably positioning a little bit as well. So I, I think it probably wouldn't hurt to have a bit more experience in that side um, going to Brentford um, and, and Vrancic is, is, is making some case to sort of be included. So it's, it's just about where you fit him in, I think, as opposed to, to if you fit him in. Clearly, they see him as a, as a number 10. That seems like a a good opportunity now with Ida suspended to maybe um, try and look to revert back to the 4-2-3-1 and, and put Francic behind Puki and, and give that a go, knowing that you've got Hugill to to add a bit, a little bit of fresh impetus late on. So they're probably the changes I'd look to make. But at the, at the moment, I have to say, I don't really see where Kenny McLean fits into that midfield because I think Lucas Rook was, yesterday I felt was perhaps wasn't the step forward that Birmingham was, but um, I, I think his, his early form at the start of the season has been has been pretty impressive. And unless he sort of dramatically falls off, it's, it's really difficult to see Kenny McLean coming back in for me. Yeah, OK. And just finally, Dave, I wanted to ask about Javi Kintia. He's someone who's sort of uh, just accepted at the moment, isn't he? Because there's not really another left-back option. You've got Ali Mumba as, as the uh, sort of young option who could go there, or Max could yeah. switch, or Ben Gibson could go there. But as long as he stays fit and, and you know, is making progress, then you would have thought that he's going to continue as the left-back. Um, what have you made of him so far? Because... He's sort of been a bit, bit up and down, isn't he? But certainly his delivery into the box has been has sort of got the the thumbs up from Norwich fans. Yeah, absolutely. That's the bit that stand out about him. He he, he very much kind of he looks a, a very Daniel Farker fullback. If you think anyone who's kind of played in that position, for I, I don't think I can think off the top of my head of one that is better defensively than going forward. Even even Max Aaron's, who is just you know he's going to be a world class player. There's no no mistake in that, and you know he's good defensively, but also is terrific going forward. But um, I think Kintia's ball into the box is just has brought another dimension to the game, um, and it, it's got Emmy Brandia off uh, off corners, which is is something I'm always <laughs> always in favour of. But um, I, the, the same thing with with we've seen with lots of fullbacks that have played for Norwich recent years. I, I sometimes worry whether Kintia gets caught slightly too often defensively. But if that's you know that's he's come from playing in in La Liga, which admittedly is a lot of a you know it's a more technical kind of slightly slower paced game than the um, than the Championship, which is very in your face. And I think once he's kind of comes to grips with the and adjusts better to the pace of you know the pace of the game here and the how in your face it is then um if you're sure at the back he will be fine in the role because you know going forward i really like looking at him he's always in space he always seems to make himself available and he's putting in great balls and his set pieces it is something really that has impressed me so yeah it's an interesting one um i think he maybe just needs to bulk up a little bit make the same for i'd say for poor um, just to to cope with the the physicality of the championship, I think they may, maybe just need to learn that little bit of a, an aggressive streak and maybe spend a bit more time alongside Gibson and Hanley will will help him uh, continue particularly to to find that. Um, Dave, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I did mean to mention earlier that Dave tweeted a video 
of the reaction in the gun club to to the Vrancic goal. That, that's a nice video, and we retweeted it from the Pinkin account. So if you haven't already seen that, then, then give that a look. Um, also wanted to give a mention, the uh, second official Norwich City sticker book is out there now. Uh, pinkinshop.co.uk is the place to go where you can order it, and there's links on the Pinkin homepage as well. The stickers will be out in November. I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, but they're not far away. Um, so certainly all in good time for Christmas. And we're uh, we're hoping that people see that as, as an upgrade on the on the first year as well. Um, so that is out there. But for now, chaps, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me. And uh, to you, thank you very much for listening. Of course, pinkin.com is the place to be for the game on Tuesday night. Or if you're um, listening to this ahead of the press conference on Monday, we'll have all the updates from Daniel Fox's press on Monday lunchtime as well. But for now, thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch up with you very soon.